Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Eric Kent. And I'm Matt Blossom. Tonight, we have a very special interview with Paul Macaluso of Dawn of the Dead. We also have a special report on the Arrow box set. George A. Romero, From Night to Dawn. But first, the news. All right, well, welcome to the second episode of WGON Radio. Uh, I'm Eric Kent, and I'm, once again, I'm with my co-host, Matt Blasey. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, tonight, we've got a, an interview with Paul Macaluso, uh, a gentleman who played one of the uh, tenement protectors in uh, dawn of the dead uh but first let's uh, let's get into the news um it's been a, a report out recently actually since uh it took a couple weeks to produce our first episode so it uh we were kind of uh discussing whether or not the news about the or the uh the talk about the criterion blu-ray of night of the living dead was legitimate and then you know but between the time we recorded the episode and and uh uploaded it it criterion announced the release uh sometime in february 19th i want to say 18th or 19th i think right after valentine's day february 13th right uh, the day before okay right before yeah and actually i don't know if we mentioned it on the last uh episode they uh they also released a poster that uh, you can order off the Criterion website, and uh, it's kind of an oddball size. It's like 27 by 39. Yeah, um, it's going to make buying a frame really hard. Yeah, or you just, I don't know, put some black construction paper over the extra inch or whatever you want, you know. Um, I, I did pick one up, though. I, I have It's not displayed yet, but... Um, I was probably just going to go to Walmart and <laughs> do the... Uh... I, I have not ordered one yet. I am currently at capacity of wall space for posters and adding another one at this point. It's going to be counterproductive, but I know I'll pick <laughs> one up eventually. That's the beauty of the sickness. I mean, I have absolutely zero wall space. I'm, you know, I'm at like negative 19 poster wall space. <laughs> yep. <laughs> May as well add I another keep... one to the pile. I keep telling myself I'm going to put one poster frame up somewhere, and each month I'm going to start rotating posters, and I have yet to begin that feature in my household, and that's probably been four or five years in the making. You know what the real bitch of it is, is the 41-inch frames. Those, those things are expensive <sighs> as hell, and I, I've never been able to commit. I, I've got to buy some, you know, it'd be nice to buy five or ten in bulk, and I've just never, you know, had this disposable income to do so you know yeah uh, i go between going to michael's and using one of the coupons oh yeah and, and pricing it out or i've looked online over the years and i've never been able to find a site that's given me a, a, a price for me to actually pull the trigger because i know i need at least three maybe four or five and it's just amazing how that one extra inch yep oh yeah jacks up the price 
Mm-hmm. I, I, there's a uh, website uh, we'll discuss off air because I don't quite remember the name of it, but they also sell on eBay. I'll link you up. I, I think I had them to, it was around 170 shipped for 10 frames. Which you think, I mean, if you think about it, 17 a frame, it's amazing, but you got to make a, the investment. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and you know, they were very simple, you know, like one inch wooden frames, nothing to them. Yeah, the, for the, the poster fans out there, they're probably cringing thinking oh, yeah. $17 for a frame for a 27 by 41 at that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know what, though? It's not I, exactly the best frame to put for a vintage poster. I, I feel you, but at the same time, I probably paid an average of 17 bucks per poster. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have an original Dawn 1 sheet, and mm-hmm. if if that gets to the point of being framed, now it's folded nice and neat and in and, and a protective sleeve or, you know, fold or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and that gets displayed, that's going to go upstairs away from the other ones because it is an original yeah so that might be the one frame i pay the extra money for to get the uv glass and the acid free backing or whatever it is but i think the other ones i i might not splurge on unless i come into a bunch of money that i it's that day that i just start buying poster frames yeah don't get me wrong i would love to have like the immaculate matting and you know just have everything looking you know tight but um I, I do have a Don Green letter up in. I might edit this out. A Michael's frame, um, <laughs> but it, one of those twenty-seven by forty ones where you take out the uh, the insert, the the collage photo collage insert. Oh, okay. Um, uh, where you know, I, I guess it's just old. I'm guessing it's old stock from the eighties uh, that they repurposed. And uh, try, but I haven't been seeing those in Michael's in, in quite you know in several years. Yeah, I go to Michael's and AC Morris kind of regularly, and there's nothing over 27 by 40. Mm-hmm. And I, I love full-size movie posters, and I have a couple of friends who are wonderful artists who do, do a lot of work for Scream Factory, Vinegar Syndrome, and other places, and their stuff is 18 by 24. And that's almost the perfect size for the amount of posters that I've bought over the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. And that slowed my larger movie poster buying down a little bit. Well, and I've got a, uh, I've about, I guess about three years ago, I built, I'm in sitting in it now. I built a theater room out of the back half of my garage. Um, and I've got four, five, five, uh, 27 by forties up simply because they're 27 by forties. You know, they're not. Yep. They're not, you know, I mean, I've got like a, a Goodfellas that I w- would want to have up and there's a Grindhouse, but I've got like a Jackie Brown and Behind the Mask, you know, just, but I would much rather have, you know, like my Night Riders one sheet, my Return of the Living Dead one sheet, you know, I just don't have the frame for them, you know? Yeah, um, my, um, I have a one, I have one long wall in my, in my den in my basement and it, it fits all six Romero zombie films in a 27 by 40 frame. Mm-hmm. The night poster I have is actually 24 by 36. So that's in a full size frame. And then I have an original day poster, which was already kind of beat up when I bought it, but I've got it wedged in there so that it's just, it's just folding it over just slightly. It, right. It's not 
making it any worse, but it wasn't in great shape when I bought it, but it's an original. Mm-hmm. So that that's up in the 27 by 40 frame. So it kind of looks a little odd. There's little corners that you can see the frame where the, the frames don't go together. You can see the poster a little bit, but I'm okay with those right now because you can see all six of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, that wall is legendary. That's the paneling wall, right? Yep. Oh yeah, you've got and you've got. I've always meant to ask you about this. You've got the um, the dawn light mounted, but you've got it mounted kind of low. I, it's just sitting on the floor. It's oh, okay. Not mounted. Not even mounted, but it is wired up. It is wired up. I wired it up with my dad the week after I got it. We just went to Home Depot and bought bought a bought some cords, a plug, and a switch. So I can plug in the wall and I got an on-off switch. Okay, so officially, I mean, of the known people in possession of these lights, because I'm in the same boat with you. Mine's sitting five feet in front of my face on the floor. Uh, but I do have aspirations of mounting it and, and wiring it. Um, it's a heavy son of a bitch, though. It is. Um, it's uh, front heavy. Oh, yeah, front heavy, no doubt. And and the bracket for it is like industrial size, so you gotta, you know what I mean. You gotta go heavy duty with the bolts and everything. Yep. I mean, it's it looks like a little much to be hanging on a two by four. Well, um, Bob O'Rourke and Sandy, they've got theirs mounted in one of their rooms in their house, mm-hmm. but I think it's literally mounted into a large stud. Right. Like I think it's in, it's almost in the support beam. Because yeah, the I've seen, I've seen it. It's, it's, it's high off the ground. It's almost overhead, that, yeah. It, it's in one of those, it almost looks like it's in one of those, you know, exposed wooden rooms. With like a, with like a, right into like, you know, like a four by four stud. Yeah, it's kind of like a vaulted room with like a cross beam kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That they, yeah, yeah. I've, that's what I was going to say. It's me, you, Bob, Lee. Okay. And Kevin. Kevin, and Kevin, is that is that the uh, the Fab the, Five? Those are the known ones. I don't know how many of them all sold. I'm sure them all sold. Well, there a was few. There was one guy that bought that very first damaged light that was pissed off. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh so, my god, yeah. So oh my god, I haven't thought about that in a while. So that guy has one, and I think they pulled. The second auction, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. they pulled it because of the way that guy was acting. So I, really, in in many ways, that guy probably spoiled spoiled it. Yeah, I mean, I remember being in touch with with the girl <laughs> at the time. Her name was Heather. She, I, I was back and forth because I wanted to get another one, and I was hoping that they would have had them. They wanted to get rid of them, so I was going to get one cheap. And she's like, "Well, I can do two for like." I don't know, it was like 300 or something. It really wasn't that much off. I was hoping to get them for like 50 bucks a light. You know, I'm like hoping, you know, they just want to take them off their hands. You could have put and your she, kids through college on the profits. I probably could have at least paid for books for a semester. <laughs> because I would have, I would have loved to have had a couple of them. Just, you know, I don't even know where I would have saved them. I probably would have had to bought a storage unit and no, put them in a storage unit. Here's what you do. You buy a new house that fits the lights and then just <laughs> have them in a row running down your back porch and all through your living room and kitchen. And <laughs> one in each bedroom. <laughs> one in each bedroom. I mean, that'd be amazing. God, uh, I wish. I could only wish. Yeah, every room would have to be vaulted like 14, yeah. 14 feet high. 
um, okay, so, so we, we're the Fab Five. Oh yeah, you were. But uh, get back to the story. You were uh, trying to negotiate with Heather. Yeah, I was. I was like, well, you know, I'd, I'd love to come out and get it. You know, one or two more. And she said, well, I can do two for this. And I was kind of like, eh, you know, that's a that's a lot of money. And so I ended up passing up on them. Let's see, I got that. That was in '04. That was the spring of '04, so it probably would have been that summer because I was I was staying in touch with them. Oh man, if she would have done two for three, she would have been. She would have done ten for a thousand, no question. Yeah, I, I would I would have been hoping to to get some more. And I think it was shortly after that that they were gone. I think they just chucked them. They they had them in that store for a while because I remember being in the mall once more shortly after that and seeing them still in there and they still had a bunch i didn't count because the the lights off but i i now minus two of 80 so i want to assume 70 of them got tossed Uh uh-huh well there's that there is one posted in one of the back work rooms that is the one of 80 i'm pretty okay yeah that was the one that they kept she's like well we kept number one Uh uh-huh it's posted. And I got, posted and I got in the, number two. It's like in the break room, and uh, I want to say it was '04. John and I were with Bob, and we were kind of um, coming in through the back to the right of Penny's. We went through those maintenance doors and kind of went through a couple of oddball rooms, and we did uh-huh. we, we did walk through kind of just an open area room that probably had three or four, maybe five of the lights, a couple of them were pretty well damaged to hell, and there was dings on a few, and I half wonder if those are the ones that Kevin ended up acquiring, because I know he he was pretty late to the ball game on those. Um, yeah. I know they, they had one up on one of the pillars for the yeah. longest time. Yeah, down on the... Uh, down by the loading docks. Exactly, yep. On the lower floor. I have a picture in front of it, and that would have been from the that would have been from Christmas of '04, and facing the department store on that end. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's really like just nonchalant out of the way. Like I didn't even think about it. Hell, that could like, be the one I have, or the one Kevin has. You know. Yeah. It could be one it of the last. Be. I don't know. One of the I don't, last. I don't months. know why they ever took it down, but you know they did. Somebody finally noticed it. Practice standards, matter. standards and practices. Um. So yeah, that all that all never ended up used. You just ended up with the one light, and uh, I, but you know what kills me about that time walking through there with Bob. I mean, that's when we went through that time. We ended up getting like a a a Monroeville Mall sticker, an unused one that would have went on the doors. Yep, I have one. Um, and also got a large chunk of marble. Uh, so I, I got a feeling if we'd been like, Hey, we'll, we'll clear this shit out for you, man. I mean, if you're just going to throw this away, I, I pro- we could have probably walked away with those three or four that were sitting back there. Um, another, yeah. another one that kills me. We're completely off topic, but this is great. Um, do you remember they had the two service stations in the back side of the mall on the loading dock side and one of them's been torn down in about probably about ten years ago, I guess, probably about oh seven. Um, one of them, I think, it reopened. If you're facing Guitar Center, 
the one to the yep. left, the one to the left, that one opened back up or maybe stayed open. Yeah, I think that one was always open because that's the, the tire place. But the other one to the right um, had been closed down for a number of years, and mm-hmm. inside of that place, they finally destroyed it. But inside of that place were the benches from Dark, uh-huh. and uh, I had always. Uh, you know, you're stupid and you think, oh God, it'll be there forever. I'll just, you know, one, one day I'll get a truck, you know, and get a U-Haul and take them out of there. And you, just, you never end up doing it and then they end up throwing that stuff in the dump. Um, which is what happened. But uh, we could have had the uh, the bench where Fran's sitting on in front of Anticipation Maternity and uh, the bench where... Uh, you know, Flyboy's crouched behind with his rifle and saying, we took it, it's ours, you know. Um, yeah, that, that whole decade was, was great. It started off with all of us like, oh, my God, we're here. There's all of this stuff. And at the end of the decade, it goes away, and you look back now later, and you're like, shit, if I'd only said, hey, can I have those? Oh, you know, because- another one that kills me is, you know, that shot from above, from the roof above the loading docks during one of the zombie, I think it might be during the Richard France montage, that shot from above that shoots through that little square area uh-huh. of the uh, top deck. Uh-huh. Um, uh, up until about 0506, they had the original fencing around there and uh-huh. fucking Heather, that's why I know Heather. Um, or, I, yeah, I think it was, it was Heather. I'd been in touch with her. I th- believe it was Heather. It might have been somebody else in management. Um, trying to get a hold of that piece when they finally destroyed it. And I actually had a couple of assurance. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. We'll let you know. I just wanted that fence piece when they finally replaced it. And, of course, they replaced it and just scrapped it. No. It, it kills me, man. It's like... I- it's, it, it's like they couldn't decide what they wanted to do with anything. And they had people that wanted to take it away. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it's a piece of trash. You're going to scrap it. You're going to throw it in the dumpster. You have a guy that's literally wanting to drive to your location to get a piece of trash from your facility and leave. Mm-hmm. How, how is that any, anything other than an, okay, come pick it up on Tuesday? Yeah, it, it would be like, uh, you know, people offering to wash your car for free. It'd be suspicious at first, but then you'd be like, well, shit, they are just taking it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's just, oh my God, there was so much of it in that mall for so many years. And especially after we discovered how much there was, it, and that seemed to be at the point. And I guarantee you, if, if we sat down with, with me, you, Lee, John, Kevin, and looked at the timeline of the mall, mall management changes, whoever the owners of the mall that's when that stuff got pitched because I think the mall got bought again in 2007, 2008 yeah. or shortly after. Mm-hmm. That's when, that's when I think probably CDL properties bought it and pitched all that stuff probably came in and said, you guys need to get rid of all this stuff. That's when the, they were like, the we were planning on making money on that. Actually, that was Oh five. That happened in Oh five, the district. Yeah. The district was Oh five because Oh four, the front of the mall was still there. Yep. Yep. For the tours. Or, yep. No, shit, I didn't go there. I went there in, yeah, I did go there in 04. Yep. But not for any tours. I was just looking at photos from Christmas of 2005, and there's pictures of me out in front of the district. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Damn, fucking district. I know. Um, I know. 
So, uh, back to Night of the Living Dead Criterion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which. Um, new digital uh, 4K digital restoration. Um, let's see. You were mentioning the, the remastered audio that was immaculate in the theatrical <laughs> presentation. We've got the Night of Anubis, uh, I guess the work print uh, version, which um, Jim Cirinella has basically squashed all enthusiasm for. I don't know if you've had a chance to read his uh, explanation about all of that. I, I don't want to say squashed enthusiasm, but he, he stopped rumors from happening before they started. Stopped the madness, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's. I think the work print is essentially the title card, and I don't... And again, you know, for, for listeners out there, I've, I've read... The articles, um, I don't remember all the nitty gritty because there was so much. It's so, it just came so fast. Um, I think the, the work print is just where it says Night of Anubis. Yeah. And I don't, there's, there's no additional footage. There's nothing different. There was, about it. there was a couple scenes that, a couple of quick shots of zombie hordes. Uh, but he, nothing that adds to the film. No, no from additional. A lost footage. Yeah. But I mean, maybe with a closer um, inspection, you might have an alternate take here. Or there, you know I, what I mean? I uh, guarantee you, that's going to be the first thing a lot of people watch, and they're going to watch it frame by frame. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's that's fine because it would be neat, nice to see if something was there. I, I'm not holding my breath. I'm I'm most interested in for those um, those dailies. Yeah, some 16 millimeter dailies. I mean, that's. It's going to be fascinating to see just the between, the, the, really, just an alternate takes, but also just a between take dialogue between everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I I don't even know what to start imagining there. So I'm, you know, anything is going to be amazing. Yeah, I, I think even if it's two or three of them, and I mean any any footage at this point is is welcomed with open arms because we've seen we've all seen the movie hundreds of times, uh-huh. and we we know the movie front and back, so it'll be nice just to have something new for us to take in. Because when I look at the the special features, there's the the Frank Darabont, Guillermo del Toro, and Robert Rodriguez featurette. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the the Russo, the John Russo thing, um, you know, the, 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 the audio original, commentaries that we've yeah. had before, yeah. um, new interviews, which I think, which I think will be great. I, I wish that they would do a new commentary. Yeah. Get some, uh, get some, well, we need, we need 100% more Gary Striner. <laughs> I agree. I, I would, I would love to hear from Gary, and some of the people that were, you know, were instrumental that are still around that, that could, you know, provide, you know, an, a, just an, a new perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Because we all know the stories. And I think that's why I love and hate Criterion in the same breath, because I love what they do for films. But I tend to not buy Criterion films because I look at it and I go, that's the same stuff that's on the DVD I already own. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not one for for many movies to double dip. It's really got to be something new on the Criterion for me to just upgrade. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously I will buy this 
you know, for, you know, till the end of days because this is an authorized release and, you know, their criterion is taking care with it and the film looks great. It's 50 years. So I'm, so, I'm glad that they're, they're, they're pulling all the old stuff, adding a bunch of new stuff. Um, but I do, my, my only gripe with this upcoming release is that there's no new commentary track announced. I believe Jim also said they were going to put that uh, newsreel from his disc, uh, Autopsy of the Dead. And he was okay. he was also going to put together some kind of abbreviated autopsy. I you know, maybe crunch it down to 30 minutes or maybe just concentrate on a topic or an actor. I don't know. I really don't know, but he's he's producing something for the disc. Yeah, you know what, that brings up a good point. You know, there's a lot of these films that are, you know, scanned in 2K or 4K. They get a whole featurette on on that. It would have been nice to see a featurette on the discovery of the footage and the journey that the footage took from discovery to final product. Yeah, that'd be great, something great for Gary to narrate and provide his two cents. Because he's really been kind of... uh, the conductor of this train as of late. Uh, he's been as involved as anyone. Yeah. I mean, he's been, he's been the go-to guy for the last couple of years. And, you know, and that's, and that's wonderful because you never heard the name Gary Shriner before 2012. Mm-hmm. You know, he was never, he was never around. He lived in New York and, and then he moves back and, and this falls into his lap. And then all of a sudden one day they're like, we've, We've got Night of the Living Dead. We've got a print. We're going to restore it. And, you know, we get Criterion, which I don't think any Night of the Living Dead fan would have ever imagined us actually getting because how many times over the years did we see, you know, fan mock-up covers, you know, and a wish list, and, and now we actually have it. Yeah. Well, yeah, coming out in February. It's I think it's about six weeks out, and uh, I I can't wait and uh, pre-ordered it Amazon. I probably right as you know within a day or two of it popping up on there. I know you did too. I'm sure. Yes, I did. Um, really looking forward to that. And another piece of news that came out is a company uh, called SuperSphere. Uh, they've struck a deal with Image 10 to create some sort of virtual reality experience uh, involving Night of the Living Dead. I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. What I mean, I understand you put on the goggles and um, what are we walking around in Night of the Living Dead cabin? Or I'm, I'm trying to. Is this a video game? Is this, what are we doing here? What what? My take on this is from from the limited VR experience that I have because I know VR with cell phones is still a niche market. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've put on VR goggles and, and and experienced a few things when Blair Witch came out last year. They did a little mini VR experience. So I downloaded the app and put it on. It is fun, but if if you're going to be limited to cell phones and an app, and and again, I don't. I don't know if this is something that's going to be available for, you know, computers or, or larger platforms. What I think is going to end up being the case is it's you're going to put the goggles on and you're going to be in the house. And you're going to be able to probably move from room to room and probably see and 
hear the ghouls trying to get in through the boarded up windows. So I think it's just going to be one of those, you might be able to like look at clues, pick up a, you know, get a hammer. Will the movie maybe be happening? What's that? Will the movie be happening in the house? I don't think so. I, I just, it doesn't seem to me that, you know, there's very little details to go on. Um, it, it, I wonder if you're going to, you know, play as maybe Ben and you're going to walk through and you might be seeing Barbara laying on the couch or you could be playing the role of Cooper in the basement. Um, I, I think the, I think it is a, it's a wonderful thing to happen because we've never had anything like this before, but I think the limitations of the format, it's not going to be as grand in scope as people may want it to be or could be. And as and as everybody knows, the true VR experience is for Dawn of the Dead. Which, no, of course. Which we don't even need to get into. We can all imagine where you can go with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm curious to see how how they do this and what it's going to be available for. Because as far as I know, for iPhone users, there's no VR headset. I, I think you're right. Um, so I think you're going to be limited. To the Android platform and PlayStation. whatever else, you could, maybe you... PlayStation. But so yeah, I, I, although it, if you're able to just kind of sit on the couch, put your arm over the armrest, and just kind of watch everything go down in the living room, you know that would be badass. With, with the the new the TV broadcast going on in the background. Oh yeah, you, know, you, you hear that? I th- because the, the VR experience I did is you put headphones on, too. Uh-huh. So I'm standing in my living room, middle of the day, sun's out and everything, and I put this head this VR headset on with with headphones, and the game I was playing, I was just, it was in a room, and it was, of course, in a dark mansion, it's a storm out, and you, and you move around the room, and, and you come upon certain things, and things jump out at you. So I, I lifted my head and turned around, and something jumped out at me. I literally fell back into the couch. So you, so you got to remember your senses. You only see and hear what you know what's in the goggles and on the headphones. You totally blocked out from the real world. So if they do something like that, I think that will be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But with the, I'm the type of person like I'm like it's great. We have an announcement. I've got nothing else to go on, so I can't even get excited about it yet. I can only speculate and hope that I'm going to be able to experience it with the technology that I have available to me and that other people can enjoy it. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I mean, if it's, if I'm reading things about it that are, you know, just can't miss, then I may just have to invest in whatever I need to, 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 to make me experience there, you know, give me access to that experience. So, um, I, whatever it is, I'm looking forward to it. More, more Night of the Living Dead um, products. That's uh, always a good thing. Yeah. Now for a special report on the Arrow box set. All right, now we're going to re- review uh, Arrow's box set, uh, George A. Romero, Between Night and Dawn, which includes the, uh, the three films, uh, There's Always Vanilla, Season of the Witch, and... The crazies. Um, it's something I thought of immediately uh, when starting to talk about this. I've seen a lot of complaints that Martin is not in here, and I think that's more of just a, 
a product of the name of the box set. You know, they're, they're just being too literal about it. Yeah, yeah I, I think that... Uh, yeah, with with Arrow going what they did, I mean, I don't really know what... You could have almost called this, you know, the, the forgotten films or something, but they decided to use two words that are synonymous with George to, to put on the box. Mm-hmm. And, and when you see that, and you don't read the article, and you don't read the article right away, you're like, yeah, I'm getting, you know, Martin Creech, you know, uh, crazies. You know, there's always vanilla and, and Season of the Witch, and then you find out that Martin's not in there. Right. I think it, I, I think it took the air out of the, you know, of, of the initial release. Of course, two days later, George passes. Um, I don't want to say I was, I don't, I don't know, were you let down by not having Martin included? No way. Um, I was uh, psyched at There's Always Vanilla and Season of the Witch getting the treatment that they are. Because um, I, I know uh, Martin is the last one that... Uh, Dawn and Martin, isn't that the last two that uh, Richard Rubenstein is holding on to? Martin, Dawn... Uh, well, I mean, he Night might... Riders. Okay, and maybe Creepshow. You know, and it's Martin has been in Arrow's hands before as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, but but it's all been Region B releases, right? Right. Um, but in this box set was a they did a Region B version as well, and also uh, before I forget. Um, thinking about this box that get out there and get it. It's low in quantity and even the Amazon, I don't know how Amazon gets away with this kind of shit, but the price from Amazon is like ninety nine ninety five now. Well, so, I just was in my local FYE at the mall this past weekend and mm-hmm. they've got it for ninety nine ninety nine. So if anyone has any FYEs in your area, you may want to go check it out. I've seen one or two hanging out on the shelves for 99 bucks. It's what, you know, it, and, and if you do have one, it, you know, like for me and you, we've already got a set, but I mean, it might be worth checking out back in every now and then just seeing if it hits clearance for whatever reason, you know? Uh, I don't foresee it hitting clearance. I, I foresee it selling out and, and going out of print but, very, very quickly. No, I mean, I at, the, I mean at the FYEs. I mean at the FYEs, you know, just people are like, hey, uh, 99 who the hell is that? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, wrong place, wrong item. Sometimes things sit around and uh, hit the uh, the ten dollar bin. <laughs> if I saw it for ten bucks, I would probably end up buying it. Well, I mean, I wouldn't mind just having an extra one, you know, either for resale or just to hold for a a friend that missed out on it, or you know, because I yeah. I'm hurting for people that. You know, or hearing about it late, and now because I think I, I believe I paid low sixties for this thing, like sixty three dollars. I want to say is what I paid. I was going to say I got it for pretty cheap. I have a friend of mine that works for Fye, mm-hmm. so he got he got it for me with his discount. Yeah, I think I paid sub sixty five for it. Uh huh. And I got it. I mean, it came out what the last week in November. Uh huh. Right. So it was pushed back. You know, a week or two, I think. Or a couple of weeks, I think it was. But um, on the other side of what I was saying earlier, no one would have been more delighted than me 
to have seen Martin and the set, however, yeah. you know. Um, but just the simple fact that somebody had finally found some materials for season and vanilla, um, finally put some effort into putting out a decent release for those. Um, but yeah, I mean, Martin is in desperate need of a, uh, you know, a, you know, they, they need to pay the, the attention they paid to season of the witch. They need to pay to Martin. Well, the last thing I had heard, I talked to a friend of mine who does work with another DVD company that puts out absolutely beautiful releases, was that the licensing was in the six figures. For Martin. For Martin. So. Well, I tell you what, if you wait much longer, it's worth it. If it gets down, once they do the special edition of Dawn, and and if that thing's still sitting out there, yeah, I could see that. You'll, I mean, you know, people are going to want to complete their library. Yeah, but I just it worry. I don't want to say it worries me because Romero fans, there's there's a good portion of Romero fans that will pay almost anything. But for that amount for licensing, you're going to be talking almost fifty, sixty bucks for an individual disc. Because yeah, you'd have to sell so you, you'd have to sell thousands. You you have to recoup that cost. And you'd have to sell probably at least twenty, fifteen to twenty thousand discs. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot for a niche film. It is, and it and, and I know it hasn't done well in the past for Anchor Bay, and uh, I'm not sure how the uh, the Lionsgate one did. Um, I mean, they're they were only on DVD for what a year or two. Yeah, not long, not long. And then the Arrow version started to come out. There was a couple of different versions floated out from Arrow uh, for, for on DVD. Uh, worthwhile versions. And, you know, every every version of Martin that's come out, for one reason or, or another, they've all got one uh, aspect that, about the, the release that makes the disc worth keeping. Uh-huh. Every single one of them. Um but uh, but yeah, that that one's in desperate to be six figures. You know, I don't. It's gonna have to yeah. be some. I don't know who's gonna step up to the plate. And, uh, I mean, some of these companies are getting. You know, we you and I just got our Suspiria discs in the mail from from yeah. Synapse. And yeah, it's just an absolutely beautiful release. So you know, I hope you know if Don ever decides to listen or anyone you know wants to pass along to to Don over at Synapse that this thing is absolutely beautiful. It's probably my favorite release of the year um you know a company like synapse would do an absolute beautiful restoration job and and give us a a stellar release i just wish that richard rubenstein would say you know what here guys you know market price you know this is what you would pay for this just just go and or we'll how about how about this? I take half the proceeds. I take half of everything right off the top. You you <laughs> guys spend all the money cleaning it up. You know, I keep the cleaned up negatives when you're done after the period of time. Put everything on the production end and just take the profits. And therefore, yeah. therefore, you just take what the damn thing's worth. You don't have to oversell it and make bad yeah. bad relationships with people. Uh, not even bad just no relationships yeah well it makes me worry what the you got the insight on what the the price tag on Don is is, it, is that a seven no, fig, seven I, figure I, on that 
I would assume that that's pricey mm-hmm. because I, I can only imagine when Anchor Bay sunk into it in 2003 to, mm-hmm. to get not just, you know, he, I'm, I'm sure Rubenstein has, he's got both cuts. He had two of the three cuts and I'm, I don't know how they, you know, who they licensed, you know, got two cuts through someone over in Europe with probably with Dario. But it's, it's been amazing that that thing's been out of print in the States on DVD for 12 years and off Blu-ray for eight. Yeah. And, and you, and I, I, I feel that this is, this statement will come up in future episodes. I just can't imagine the amount of money that he's losing by not releasing this film. Mm-hmm. He just licensed to Fright Rags this past summer for shirts and pens. Mm-hmm. But he's, but he's not licensing to actually release the movie. Again, yeah, I mean, if he just takes a piece of the action on sales, I mean, he would just, that that's all the money he's turning away by having such a, I don't know, standoffish business model. I, I wished this past summer he did that screening of Night in New York City. And he was there. He did a Q&A at midnight both nights. And I wanted to go, and I wanted to be like, what are your plans for releasing Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. again? Because the only Blu-ray we have here in the States is the theatrical cut. And that's not even a remaster. That is, that's a port from a DVD. You know, they probably just took the old master. DVD, scanned it at 1080p. Here you go. Well, I think they did a, they might've done a 1080 at the time and they just yeah. used whatever they did at the time and put it on the, but on the Blu-ray. He's, He's got to have a master. He, he's got to. I well, they did the. Uh, they they would have done a scan for the 3D version. Oh, well, exactly. So there yeah. you go. So I don't know if he's waiting on the 3D version. I speculation. You know, we could sit here for five episodes and just speculate. It, mm-hmm. It's just disappointing that two of his biggest films are sitting in a vault. Yeah. And. Even if you released it at that time and people thought you were capitalizing on his death, which as bad of as bad as the things I've heard about him are, I don't think he would do that because I always felt he respected George and liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't feel that sometimes he he kind of gets it. He sees everything as a business decision rather than. You know, hey, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring Martin out once every ten years, you know, because I know fans want it. He's probably analyzing everything from a dollar standpoint as to how he can maximize this property that he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm speculating. This is just one man's opinion. It's based on you know, historical evidence. Um, yeah. Um, well, uh, the, the, well, let's talk about the packaging for, I mean, I, sure. I, I adore this, uh, this packaging, the box set with the, basically the orange background with the star field and you have the, uh, basically George's glasses and hair. <laughs> <laughs> I always love when people do that with George's silhouette. Yeah. You know what? And uh, speaking of that, he, he didn't really adopt that look until the early 2000s but it's really you know kind of he that's really become his you know 
iconic image of choice, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know why that is. It just kind of caught on. I just think that's when he became. You know, once he kind of came back into the limelight with Land of the Dead. That's what he looked like. And became iconic as the zombie mm-hmm. thing exploded. Yeah, it's kind of got almost like a Grateful Dead kind of Jerry Garcia kind of feel. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I love the packaging. The book is great. I haven't even. I mean, just I don't mean the content. I haven't looked at that. Just the uh, the look of the book. Yeah, I want I want to give props to Arrow because their their releases this year. They did a box set for Donnie Darko and Hellraiser this year, and the, their quality is is par none, probably the best out there. I I don't own it, but I got my hands on for a couple of weeks. Uh, their special edition of Creepshow Two that came out earlier this year, and I don't mm-hmm. even I don't even like that movie. But I'm I'm already looking to try and pick up the special edition for you know like around basically fifty bucks now, but it's it's similar uh, box set to the uh, Night and Dawn, just slimmer, just the one disc one disc in the comic. The comic has the um, untold uh, fourth story. It's yep. About uh, I can't remember. It's about bowling. I can't remember the name yeah. of it. But they have that in comic form in a book, and just the the, the packaging is just it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, Arrow's really really been killing it lately. Um, uh, yeah, hats off to them for sure. But yeah, let's uh, um, let's get into the let's get into the. Well, let's start. I guess start off with "There's Always Vanilla." Which, let's, let's let's start with your favorite. Well, I tell you, you know, like I said earlier, season and vanilla is. The reason for, I mean, the reason for all my excitement in this box set. And I, I like the crazies okay too, but I, I think I said in the last episode, I, I mean, for the amount, for as much as I like the crazies, I was satisfied with the previous release. And I think you, you even mentioned it. It was a similar situation to the Dawn Blu-ray um, from Anchor Bay. It was just the... It was just the HD remaster that they had, the HD master that they had used for the previous DVD. It looked fantastic, but yeah, they had really done no additional work, but but it did look better in high def. It was a very clean transfer and had, and that that disc is still worth keeping because uh, it does have the Romero commentary, which this one does not. And I, yeah, I was I was a little disappointed, but we'll talk about that when we get to the yeah. crazies. But yeah, jumping on, uh, there was always vanilla. Um, well, I mean, the previous, uh, releases, man, I mean, they've just been dismal. Like, this was included as an extra feature. I think it was a 2004 Anchor Bay DVD. Might have been 05. Uh, but it was included on the flip side of the disc of, uh, the, um, Season of the Witch release from Anchor Bay. And, uh, I mean, I even talked to some people online. I had to kind of coach them up. I'm like, no, the, trust me, the movie's on there. Flip it over and check it out. But, um, but there was the Anchor Bay release and before that, something weird video. They, they've had a print of it for years that they released on, uh, VHS, but, um, nothing that looks good at all. Uh, but it is, it's always been at least the complete presentation, but, um, but yeah, they finally got uh, the original 16mm elements for this, cleaned it up, and uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty much floored by 
by the presentation on this. Um, I mean, it's, I, I can't expect any cleaner from, from this movie. Um, and I, and I, and I highly doubt that anybody will ever go down this road again. Uh, this is it, you know, <laughs> Yeah. you, you've got, you've got your good version of vanilla. Enjoy it. Um, but yeah, the audio, they finally, uh, Anchor Bay had blown this out, zoomed in to 16 by 9, which was an inappropriate aspect ratio. This has restored the, uh, Ford 3, um, uh, aspect. Uh, and just, it's, it's, man, it's fantastic. I mean, cause no longer, you can just concentrate on the film now. You don't have to worry about the quality or anything like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, what, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I was going to say, on in terms of the transfer, I, I'm going to agree that the transfer for for a film that has basically been forgotten for 40 plus years, it, they did an absolute stellar job. Um, it's a 2K restoration, which I, I think is all this film would ever need. Um, we got more of this film than I thought we would ever get in terms of quality. Um, although the the one thing I do kind of enjoy about watching old films is watching the un restored versions with the the pops and the cracks and the and the the grain you know to me there's a certain quality about watching an old film like that Mm -hmm. but then like you said you can watch this film on blu-ray now and just watch the film you're not getting lost with the the presentation you're not getting pulled out of it Mm -hmm. um i i did enjoy the uh the making of which was kind of funny because it was I really enjoyed uh, of that entire docu that little documentary or featurette was was Judy Ridley's mm-hmm. uh, recollection of it because she's never she never really talked much about it in a in a place where it's easily accessible for people to watch. Yeah, and and it was really nice hearing about the genesis of this project. You know, going from a, a, a short thirty minute film from Ray Lane to this entire uh, feature. And, and I'm talking about Ray. I, I really enjoyed because I don't, I don't know much of the man, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a Ray Lane, Ray Lane fan by any stretch. I thought his performance in the movie was always done. Well, it's probably the one Romero movie I've seen the least. I've probably seen it three, four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically because I keep forgetting I have it. You know, I, I have my Season of the Witch DVD on, on my shelf now. I can see it from where I'm at, but, you know, it's it's a Season of the Witch DVD, and, oh, by the way, here's There's Always Vanilla. Um, I, I, yeah, there's, whenever I watch this film, and, and I don't ever want a fan of the movie like you to take it the wrong way, but this movie reeks of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It is like, it is like the decade of the 70s threw up all over this film. <laughs> and, and 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 Jack Russo said it very clearly on the on the documentary was you know it was filmed in 1970 69 70 and wasn't released for a couple of years and and how much fashions and music and society changes you know 10 years later George is making Night Riders and Creepshow right so you can really see a progression in his filmmaking in 10 years I think more so than Night, because I think Night, the way Night was made, it, it's a to me. I think Night is a better shot and made movie than Vanilla. Yes. 
and I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me on that, but there's just, there's something about the way that this movie was made. To me, it just seems like it's a director's first movie. Yeah. And, and I think when you're watching some of the archival interviews with George on this disc, he doesn't remember much, but he doesn't really have much enthusiasm to remember the movie. Well, it seems like it was so disjointed with the... Uh, well, I think it's kind of what happened on night where they were kind of bringing in script you know, the final parts of the script, you know, they were all reading the pages maybe that morning before they shot. And I think maybe Rudy thought they were going to kind of do that, that that way on this one as well. And it wasn't quite flying because it was more of a, you know, a tighter narrative. It, it, you know, depended more on the storyline and might've seemed kind of aimless to the other dozen or so people involved. Well, like they said, you know, they would shoot for a couple of days and go off for a couple of weeks. Right. You know, it was the same almost guerrilla filmmaking style that he had with Knight, where, you know, they might not shoot for three weeks, and then you got to get Ray and Judy back, and, okay, what scene are we shooting today? Oh, well, you're in love this week. Here's when you come back in two weeks, you're going to hate each other. Here's seven new pages that no one's ever seen before, including the director. Yeah. (laughs) Um, One, uh, you mentioned the, uh, the making of, which was great. The, uh, highlights of the making of was, uh, there was a part where Russo was talking about his wife rolling joints and stuff. There was a great, <laughs> a great kind of loosey goosey story he tells in there. And then, um, uh, Rudy Ricci is no longer with us as of six, seven years ago. And, uh, man, uh, Russ Streiner just buries the dude. Uh, (laughs) I mean, he, he lays it in on the guy and just, just buries him good. Cause, uh, it, it struck me as this guy's dead. He's not going to kick my ass. So (laughs) let me just be honest here, which was nice, which was nice. Yeah. I was, I, I kind of perked up on that cause I was like, whoa, Mm -hmm. this guy was your friend and, you're kind of saying he was kind of a prima donna or, you know, what I forget. I think, I don't know if that's what he described him as, but he was saying was like, that he had all sorts of great ideas, but how, you know, how are you going to change the, change the world with a bunch of ideas and a bunch of boxes in your garage? Yeah. <laughs> well, do you, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that about George. George mm-hmm. had so much stuff that is, sitting in a drawer not to George's detriment that George was responsible for not getting stuff made yeah but just from what I've always heard is George had piles and piles of scripts and stories and treatments and stuff so I could only imagine you know what George and Rudy could have done together had someone maybe lit a fire under Rudy and said hey you gotta get get this to George he can make it for you you know what else could we have gotten that's another show right there. Un- yeah. <laughs> Unmade Romero. Yeah. So what did you think uh, of our buddy Larry's featurette? It's great. It's great. Because, you know, it, it's, it doesn't cost a couple of bucks to do those kind of things. And it's worth having on the disc. These, You know, it's worth getting somebody out there and documenting them. You know, like I've got... 
hours of footage like that and it just sits on my shelf. It's for me and maybe a couple of buddies that I made a copy for. So, you know, it's good to get that kind of stuff preserved before those those places go away. Um, I, I'll tell you what, I was surprised that this was a, a voiceover narration with, with just photos. I, I kind of was too. I figured it'd be some some camcorder or something. I I was I was a little shocked that that's what we got, and I'm not complaining that that's what we got, but that was it. Just kind of threw me off that I hear Larry talking, and then I think, okay, we're going to go from a still video to him standing there. Mm -hmm. Now I know, like Larry had mentioned, that you know a lot of those photos are taken over the course of so many years with visits and stuff. So I doubt that Larry was able to go back out and and shoot something new like he had done with the crazies documentary. I thought they'd done them all at once. Right. Um, but it, like you said, it was really nice to see that train station. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I'm going to have to go out there in, in, in a month or two after the holidays settle down and, and, and take a visit. It's a cool, I've been there, uh, 2013, I want to say, and it's a fun one to go to cause it's, you know, you have, you've got full access. Nobody's going to mess with you around there. Um, nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, everybody, you know, uh, everybody wants, you know, a, a horror's hallowed grounds, Sean Clark, but you know, this is, uh, is a great alternative. I think something like this could be on any given disc, especially any, you know, like a, a horror or a genre disc. Yeah. I was, I was glad they did it. I was like, I just said, it was like the presentation threw me off. It wasn't what I was expecting. But it was it was really neat to see that he you know he got to you know the the bar and uh, yeah you know what you know the apartments the, yeah the apartments I've never managed to track down that's wicked ass I've got to check those out and uh, but the um, we've been by the exterior of that bar a couple times but we always were under the assumption that that was not where they did the interiors. So, and, uh, and both times it was closed. So now I'm, now I'm going to have to get down there and get a beer and a shot of whiskey <laughs> for, for lunch. Um, let's see. Uh, no, that, yeah, no, that was good stuff. Uh, I, I like that they included the archive interview, um, just to see George so irritated, so visibly <laughs> irritated. Cause I think those were shot on the set of land, those interviews. Yeah, because like you said, the, the disc came out in 05, so that probably would have been, yeah, he probably would have just gotten done with, with Lander was in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. Because he does, he's like, and that's just not my mood, that's just what it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, freaking George. Um, I did not listen to any of the Travis Crawford uh, commentaries. There's one on each disc. How about you? I have not. I, I've had enough time to, to sample the movies and... and I was more interested in the content, the, the bonus yeah. features. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not aware of what Travis goes over, but I'm hoping next week, once the holidays and everything settle down, that I can, you know, kind of dig into him because I really am interested in in the. There's always vanilla commentary. Do you know him? I do not. Okay. I'm I'm not familiar with Travis at all. And, and yeah. Travis, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> me <laughs> you know? me either. Um, yeah, I mean, they maybe could have just said, you know. Who in the heck he was? Um, yeah, that that threw me off too. I'm like Travis Crawford. I don't know the name, so mm -hmm. I don't know if he's if he's a film historian. He works with Arrow. Yeah, 
But uh, you know, even this one, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say, I, I don't want to say disappointed because it's going to make me sound ungrateful. I'm really not. But you could have gotten Gary, Russ, and Jack to do a commentary easily. And yeah, I mean, I'd love to have heard it. Like um, it would have been great just to hear them talk, even if you don't go into so much detail about the movie. But the the era of Pittsburgh in the 70s mm-hmm. and, and what it took to make this movie, you know, that would have been great to listen to because that, well, who would have ever thought? I would have loved to have had Gary on uh, season as well. He had a pretty prominent yeah. role behind the scenes there. So, um, Or him with Travis. Travis could have facilitated yeah. and, and drawn a lot out of these guys. Exactly. Yeah. Even better. Um, but yeah, uh, thrilled with everything they've done on there's there's always vanilla i mean you know they've completely you know blown away all my expectations for that for that title so i'm thrilled to have that on the shelf and i know we've talked about in the future maybe doing like an ultimate edition of each disc there's no question this is the ultimate edition of there's always vanilla i mean (laughs) Yeah, I think we're looking at the ultimate editions of three of George's films right here. Yeah, but yep. that's not a bad thing because not we got ultimate editions. Exactly. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about Season of the Witch, which uh, actually it got a 4K restoration, so it got a little bit of a higher detailed scan. or And, uh, and you can tell it. I mean, as soon as you pop this one in, the uh-huh. the video quality is amazing. I mean, the video quality on this looks better than any release of Martin ever looked. Like, that's why I'm kind of excited to see what maybe somebody could do with Martin, um, given similar treatment. But yeah, I mean, just right off the jump, the picture quality on this is amazing. Um, now I have not watched the alternative or the alternate extended edition. Have you? I have, and that was that was actually put together by Michael Felsher, almost like a fan edit, because the additional sequences are from a poorer quality source. So I didn't watch the whole thing, but I did kind of watch it on double speed and stop it and watch the extended sequences just to see, you know, what was different. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it ad- obviously it adds several more minutes and he did a very smooth job with the audio. It, it's, uh, as seem, you know, with the difference in quality, it's as seamless as possible. So, yeah. I mean, you, you could easily just scan through it like that and just check the extra stuff. Cause the other stuff is obviously the, um, just the main movie, uh, scan. Mm-hmm. Um, little light on the extra features on this one though. I mean, yeah, I, um, it, it, other than adding Larry's part, mm-hmm. and when when Guillermo met George, it's the same interview with Jan White from the the 2005 disc. Yeah. And so that I, I, I was just again I, I'm going to preface this I'm not disappointed or ungrateful, but did anyone talk to anybody from this movie? Yeah. Did uh, I mean maybe Jan's one of those people that she's unlisted. She's probably not on Facebook. Didn't want to participate. Maybe it was like, didn't I just say this stuff like 10 years ago? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm happy that they ported the old stuff over. But yeah, I mean, Gary Striner could have done wonders on this, this box set. Yeah. Um, well, 
was what was funny when I was sitting here going through this, I was like, you know, I remember meeting Jan White at a chiller theater in 2005. I remember those pictures you you uh, posted of her. I was like, who in the hell is that? Yeah. And it's it was just one of those things. Like, I didn't know she was there. I happened to look at her table, and I was like, oh, my God, you were in Season of the Witch. And she goes, yeah. So I was like, can I get a photo? And she's like, sure. And that's it. Like, I don't remember talking to her. I didn't ask any questions. I didn't get an autograph. And I look back now, I probably could have chewed her ear off about Season of the Witch for an hour. Yeah. Because I've, I've never seen her do another show since. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the of the discs in this box set, this is, to me, what Vanilla is to you. Yeah. Because people tend to focus on there's always Vanilla and the crazies. Because there's always Vanilla has, you know, the story, like we talked about, you know, the production and, and the distribution and the title change. Season of the Witch gets glossed over. Yeah, I think it's possibly because it did get more of a attention paid to it like as a release like it got you know promotional items put out and it had a couple of different vhs releases and it always seemed to kind of especially you know during the dawn of vhs when the romero titles was were coming out they would you know you'd see that title pop out along with it crazies as well just trying to capitalize on the name i just wonder you know Where's the retrospective on this? And, and that's what I kind of, I, I scratch my head and go, well, did no one want to talk? Or did, did people talk and it wasn't sufficient enough for a featurette? Right. Because th- this movie, even after this box set, still remains a mystery. Mm-hmm. You've got that one, it's about what, 10 or 15 minute interview with Jan White. She gives some great details about, you know, how she got involved, what it was like working with Ray, and what she liked, but there wasn't, there's almost no meat. Yeah, you get the little bit from the Romero interview as well. And, uh, yeah, you know, they had, they had, uh, well, they, Gary was in the, the Vanilla documentary, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why they couldn't have just done 15 minutes with him. Um... You're right. I mean, no. you know, and I think I, I just think that uh, of all the discs, I'm I'm the most disappointed in this one, and, and maybe that'll change when when I listen to Travis's commentary because that will be the first one I listen to because I want to know more. Yeah. I mean, as lost as Vanilla has been to time, season just kind of they're like, yeah, okay, we're gonna put you in here too. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of shoehorn this in between the two films that I think people wanted the most. Yeah, no, I, I am I am thrilled with the uh, the the presentation though. I mean, the, now the film can stand alone. You don't again, kind of like Vanilla, but even more so um, with Season. I mean, there, you're not going to be thinking about the the poor quality of the film stock or poor, poor lighting. You can just you know judge it on the merits of its content. Uh, and the story and the acting and those kind of things and uh, yeah I think those things shine through as well I think it's an effective movie it uh, it, I think it takes me where it's trying to go and you know without getting into the movie too much I I absolutely love the scene where Ray turns the older lady on with the fake marijuana cigarette oh yeah that is just such a great sequence that's just (laughs) 
such a cool moment to be captured on film. Yeah. Um, he, he's one that I wish was still with us. Yeah, man. I, and I, I'd love to just hear more stories about it. It was nice to hear, you know, what we did here on the vanilla doc, but yeah, certainly to, I'd love to hear, um, and just some more Ray Lane stories. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like a, seems like a hoot. Um, and, and one thing we didn't touch upon with the, bo- with the presentation of the box that each disc contains reversible art. Right. Which I immediately you know? uh, flipped to as soon as I got the, nothing, <laughs> nothing against the art. It just, uh, I dig the original covers. I, I do. I think, I think the, the new artwork is, is fantastic. Um, I, I might keep them like this because it, it flows with the box set, but maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll swap them around. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, I've always been a fan of the original artwork as well, but you know, I think these guys did a stellar job. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but yeah. So let's, yeah. uh, let's move on to the final one, the crazies. Yeah. This one, um, also no, um, no, uh, feed, you know, documentary on the, on the making of, of this one and I um I have to dig out the old the old disc. I don't believe there was one on there either. Um, there was not. I think the only thing on that disc was trailers and the Romero commentary which is missing from this. Right. Uh but we did add um an interview with uh Lynn Lowry and also a Q and A panel with Lynn Lowry. I watched the interview but not the panel. Um and I, audio of interview with Lee Hessel. I haven't listened to that either. Yeah, that's that's going to be the next thing I want to watch. I did watch Larry's um, location documentary, which the location documentary on Crazies is what I thought we were getting with Vanilla because yeah. this location documentary is fantastic. Yeah, I really like the way they did it. And I did Daz edit this thing together? No, Daz didn't, but I remember they filmed this over the weekend for the Living Dead weekend last October. Okay. Uh, 20, I think it might have actually been 2016 because, yeah, it had to have been. Because uh, I remember there, there's one scene where they're flying the drone from downtown during the Living Dead weekend. I remember being across the street from them. I was like, look at this dude with a drone. And I remember seeing the drone go up. So I have to go back and see if you can see like me, Bob, and Sam in the corner. Because I remember seeing the drone like flying around all weekend. What a great idea, too, to, to take in location footage. You, you oh, I, I, they did fantastic. And, and, you know, Larry was was very good and descriptive on that. You know, it, it felt nice to, to see some of these locations and, you know, hear some of the stories and, and how he came about, you know, especially, you know, when he found the house where the girls playing the piano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was cool. Um, you know, th- those are the stories that I, that I like hearing and being a part of for, for the stuff that I do is, you know, you're looking for one thing and you end up finding something you really wanted through a conversation. Yeah. I know. It, it always pays to stop and uh, rap with somebody for a few few minutes. You never know what's going to come out. It's really about who you know. Cause like, oh yeah, that might, I think my dad was that guy, you know, <laughs> you, right. you could talk to him and, 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 you know, find out, oh yeah, that was the house we filmed in. But yeah, no, I thought, I thought the, the locations feature it was, was shot beautiful. It, it was done very well. Um, showed a lot of care to it. So I, I definitely feel that that's, that's worth it for the disc because 
Yeah, I mean, they, they got a lot of stuff with Lynn and yeah. nobody else. I gotta say though, the, uh, the prize of the features is the, uh, that discovered, uh, it's either 8mm or 16mm behind the scenes footage, uh, from the crazies. They've got a lot of footage of them burning the house from the beginning. <clears throat> and you get some, uh, you know, early 30s Romero sh- uh, sightings, which is pretty cool yeah. to see them with the, you know, tall and slender with the denim jacket. And- um, you don't you don't see a lot of Romero from that era. That's he's just about to get into the uh, sports documentaries and kind of be out of off the scene for three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was really 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 cool to see that. I mean, most of it is just kind of you know stock coverage footage just to cover the fire. But you know those few glimpses you get of Romero is really cool. Yeah, I was like, there's, there's hidden gems. It just makes you smile every time you see them on screen. Yeah, and uh, gosh, we'll have to get the story one day of, uh, I, I don't know if it was Larry that discovered that or not, but uh, I'd like to know where in the hell that came from. Who was, who was Yeah, it, it, it blows me away that someone has something sitting in a box in an attic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this day and age, we document everything. We have duplicates of everything. Multiple angles <laughs> yeah. from every cell phone. And 40 years late, and it just always seems so weird that it always tends to coincide with something else happening, whether it's an anniversary or a box set being made. You know, someone found, you know, someone finds a 16 millimeter print of, you know, Mark something. Yes. And they're like, oh, yeah, this, I found this, and then we found this. And, you know, usually you kind of kick open that door and the floodgates open for a while. Yeah. And, and you kind of get it. I, and I don't know if I've ever said this before on here, but I've said this to other people. When we get these special edition box sets, I would love to have the uncorrected, like, movie print that you would have watched on, like, VHS. Mm-hmm. Just to have that on for nostalgia value. Right. Just just to go back and watch, be like, this is what I watched as a kid. And then you can, you know go to the menu and, and pop on the nice clean refresh version. This is a personal preference of mine. I just think it would be cool to have that to take you back to watching it grainy, poppy, all that stuff. That's just such a weird feature that I would love to have. But no, that's I think people would get a, watching a lot of these movies. People would get a kick out of that for sure. No doubt about it. I hear people say that a lot that they they like to have a grainy version on hand just to watch every now and then. You know, with the tracking marks from the VHS at the bottom, you know, just stuff like that. It just takes you back and it'd be something fun to watch. Yeah. So you don't have to, so you don't have to pull out the VCR. Mm-hmm. I, I'll have to think about maybe for a future episode if I think about it, but I, I believe there is a release out there that has done that. But I'll, I'll have to I'll have to research and get back for the next episode. But uh, as far as the... Um, the the transfer and everything for the crazies. Um, I'd mentioned the previous, the previous disc, uh, from blue underground like I, that I was completely satisfied with. Um, it, uh, you know, in the wake of seeing this transfer, I, I can now tell that, um, the blue underground had a lot of, of the noise reduction on it and, uh, applied to the transfer. And also, a lot of the red. It's a much more simple 
uh, color scheme in the transfer. A lot of the reds were like kind of the Crayola reds. and uh-huh. Whereas this one, uh, a lot more grain to the tra- natural grain to the transfer, but also much more natural color, m- more of a filmic looking transfer. And, and I do prefer this transfer for sure. It's, it's, it's de- a definitely an improvement on the blue underground. Yeah, I don't think with a film made in the seventies, you're ever going to re- re- you're not going to remove the grain completely and right. keep the film looking the way it should be. Right. So I'm I'm okay looking at a 4K restoration with grain without them having to, you know, add too much noise reduction or saturate the colors or blow something out. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's happened in some of these other you know film releases from Anchor Bay over the years. Um, I think a big one was was the Day of the Dead release. Well, if Dawn, Dawn that, of the Dead that, as well had, had it pretty bad. Uh, well, Dawn did too, but yeah. I, to me it stands out that first Dawn of the Dead, that first Day of the Dead DVD that came out. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the di- blue cover. Yeah. And then when they came out in 2005. With the Divi Max. 2004, the Divi Max. Mm-hmm. Totally changed. Yeah. You know, and we're not even going to talk about the Twilight release of Night of the Living Dead 90. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, that was a fiasco. I, I, I did I did make a couple of dollars off of that whole thing, but <laughs> got a couple of extra copies. But, uh, yeah, that was a weird... Ugh, that's so weird. <laughs> I don't want any title that I care about ending up in their hands. I do not feel like spending $30 for basically... The equivalent of a Mill Mill Creek release, uh, you know, just a movie only kind of thing. Yeah, that, that's almost—it's just unacceptable that, to have that in this day and age. That's another show like uh, yeah. R- Romero release fiascos. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll go down that rabbit hole with the with the video releases. I think here soon because that's been a that that's a big thing for for Romero fans. Absolutely. Um, Especially, you know, the ones that have been around that are old enough, I'm going to say old enough to remember, you know, buying these on VHS and the first DVDs mm-hmm. and, and, and going through all the formats and, and living through the, the waiting to get some of these. Because, I mean, for that Dawn box set that came out in 2003, 2004, we waited for that one for like two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, re- I remember... Seeing Mike constantly bugging him, when are we going to get it? When are we going to get it? <laughs> that was back when he was at every convention, sitting at the Anchor Bay table. Yeah, well, that's when Anchor Bay was sending him to every convention. That was nice right. when Anchor Bay had a presence like that, because you could just walk up and just beautiful tables of DVDs. Yep, all sorts of promotional items too for free. Oh my god, uh, Anchor Bay! Anchor Bay is. Let me put. Let me back up. Scream Factory is to the 2010 decade as Anchor Bay was to the 2000s. Yeah. Although, although Arrow Arrow's creeping in there, though, man. Arrow's. I think Arrow is going to carry us into the next decade, but it's yeah. kind of weird. They're kind of Scream and Arrow are are kind of working neck and neck with some of the same stuff. I mean, we just got another yeah. thing released from Arrow, and we just got a thing released from Scream not a year ago. Right. And so that, that makes me wonder how how long is this going to be viable? True, and then yeah, and then you have folks like 
Rubenstein out there with six figure asking prices. Yeah. Uh, well, and then um, when's the first one going to hit 4K? And then now, you know, we've already, you know, home video has already become a niche market um, with Blu-ray. So it's not, it's not where it was 10, 15 years ago. No, um, but you've got, you've still got enough people like you and me and other fans that they like the home media because it's, it's part of the experience. Yeah. No, I'll always, I don't think streaming's ever going to, I mean, you're, you're, I want to touch it. I want to, you know, want to put my hands on it. Well, there's, there's something about having a piece and it's almost like a piece of art. I mean, yeah. you know, when we look at this box set, someone commissioned a new artwork mm-hmm. for three obscure George Romero movies and they did a, and they did a wonderful job for the box set and for the individual releases. So there's, to me, there's always going to be, something for films that have a following Mm -hmm. and and how some of these companies know they have a following i don't know if sales numbers will will dictate that or you know fan response because i know screen factory you know has its pulse you know its finger on the pulse of of what's popular because you guys you have guys running it that are fans Mm -hmm. you know i don't know anybody at arrow but you know kudos to them because you know i'm sitting here looking at my blu-ray shelf and i'm looking at the phantasm box set the hellraiser scarlet box and you know creep show 2 and donnie darko i mean all within 12 months yeah and and the thing like all of these fantastic releases well that's the funny thing is the um uh the martin release that they put out on dvd in the uk is is a fantastic release um, yeah, so I, obviously they've lost the rights to that, but it, it's odd that it's the same company that actually had such a nice, which actually included the, uh, Italian version of Vampire, Wampier on that release. That's, that's one box that I, I will, I will pay a nice price for. I, tr- I would try to keep it under a hundred, but if I ever have the disposable income and I catch it on eBay. That Martin? I th- yeah. Is it going for that high now? I've seen, here's the funny thing. I've seen it go anything for 30 to 40 bucks to 70 to 80. Mm hmm. Damn. I, here, to put it into perspective, I just bought a laser disc last week for 10 bucks. There's oh. another version of it on eBay right now for 80. You bought the, uh, the Martin laser disc? No, I wish I'd have bought, no, I bought a, a copy of Blair Witch Project. Oh, really? Yeah, I had I had a copy downstairs sealed, but I want to have a copy to watch. How much did you scored it for ten? I scored it for ten. Man, I could be mistaken, but I, I thought that was one of the because you know, the later titles are uh, kind Any, of more rare. Anything for ninety nine onward, because that was the last year of the format, right? So, oh. like, if you get the Matrix, the Matrix is one oh, of the God. big sought after ones. The Matrix, Star Wars Episode One, uh, Erase, um, Eraser. I think the Six Sense. Yeah, Six Sense. I was saying Eraser, but it's Six Sense. You're right. Yeah, um, any of those, you know, blockbusters from ninety nine. Those are going to be your last for last major releases on Laserdisc. Mm-hmm. And Blair Witch was one, and I bought one. I got one about three or four years ago for about ten or fifteen bucks. And I was like, you know what? I really want to watch it on Laserdisc, but I don't want to open it. There's something about leaving that one sealed because of it being such a later release. 
yeah. on the format. So I said, all right, well, you know, I'll try to find one out in the wild. And, and I never found one. I just happened to be popping on eBay. And I was like, huh, that was like 10 bucks. So I'll bid on it. And I won. And yeah. That's and, cool, but, too, because that film will not suffer from any, like, resolution loss, you know? Laser believe, it or, believe it or not, the best way to watch that film is on VHS. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Due, due to how that film was shot from video to 16 millimeter to being transferred to 35 millimeter, which is the preferred way, much like every other film. Mm-hmm. But going back to VHS is probably the best quality the, the the most proper way to watch that film due to the way it was shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't have Martin on on Laserdisc. I haven't seen it that often, and when I do, it's pricey. Yeah, I think it's a it's like a thirty five range, thirty five to fifty maybe. Yeah, thirties thirty thirty five would be the top end for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for a Laserdisc, Laserdisc is making a comeback, kind of like vinyl did. Um, I see, I see a lot of Romero releases on Laserdisc getting pushed up into the fifties and sixty range, where five years ago they were ten bucks. Exactly, and I think things are finding their way to collections and staying. So these things are becoming more and more rare. Yeah, um, I, I have a feeling in a, in another ten years, some of the the Blu-ray releases that we've got now are gonna again be pumped up in price already because they're expensive to begin with yeah and people are going to sit on them for a while and then sell them because even even it's just so funny that dawn flipper disc that first edition of dawn has gone back up in price really it's gone back up again i've seen it i've seen it higher you're talking Um, about the 98 anchor bay director's cut flipper disc yep that one and the Dawn Blu-ray. I see the Dawn Blu-ray consistently going anywhere between 30 and 60 bucks. Oh yeah, all day, all night and day. I mean, if you get and that I thing go, for 30, that's a you, steal. And, and I'm like, for 60 bucks, you can buy a region-free player. <laughs> right. Go get you a Seiki. And, and I'm looking at my shelf now, and I've got one, two, three, four, five, six... Five, five editions of Dawn on Blu-ray, all from overseas. Uh-huh. And I've got that one from here in the States. And even the ones that are overseas are ridiculously expensive now. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, let me back that up. The one from Japan, the box set is expensive. And the, the Arrow one... Oh, that's through the roof. Oh, it's ridiculous. I yeah. see that for like 120 bucks. Yeah. Um, I think it, the Italian one can still be had, though I'm thinking, yeah? Yeah, you can get the Italian and the German versions for relatively cheap 20 bucks. And I there's mean, an Australian release. If, that, you, if you don't mind paying 20 bucks for shipping from Australia, you can get that for like 30 That Italian box set is still around, though, right? You can get that from a retailer. Yeah, I think so. I think you can still go to like Amazon.it and grab it for forty or fifty. Uh huh. Which I ended up buying the wrong version first. Yeah. Without the four K with the the open matte Argento cut, so I had to buy it again. So I had both editions. You've got the bookends, yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm like, well, that's okay. It makes me feel more complete <laughs> than having both. <laughs> Sleep better at night. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad Arrow gave us a good release. Um, it, it just, when I look at the box, I do get a little sad because that, that we, we were riding a very high of high wave for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And then that Sunday that you know, we had found out we'd lost George, yeah. um, kind of, kind of took the wind out of the sails and it's like, it just sucks because I, 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 I just wonder what could have been had he, we had his participation. Oh yeah. I know. I know. That would have been amazing to have him be a willing participant to be, to speak more openly it is, especially on the first two films, um, even in Kali. I mean, could you imagine a commentary on those two? That'd be incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, you're, you're, I do remember it. Now that you mention it, I do remember this announcement coming out shortly before his passing. And yeah, kind of taking the wind uh, out of the sails of that, that announcement a little bit. Um, but yeah, all, all things could, I mean, you know, I think we both agree that season and crazy's little bit light on the extras, just a little. Um, you know, considering these are three individual movies, it would have been nice to have a, a retrospective, even even if it very brief, on each film. But I thought the retro the retro on Vanilla was amazing. The transfers across the board just unbelievable, and uh, I would recommend getting out pouncing upon this box set as soon as possible because it's uh i think it's almost out of print and the prices that's what i don't understand how where does amazon get the right to raise the price thirty dollars for you know they might that might have been a promotional thing they might have been able to offer it for cheaper for a certain amount of time yeah could be you know, and, and like you were saying, you know, I want to, I want to say this to, to the listeners out there because a lot of them are our friends and we've got a lot of people listening that, you know, we don't know. I've had a lot of conversations with people since George's passing. These three films are three of the most underseen of his filmography. Please take your Christmas money, take your gift cards, go to Amazon or FYE and pick this up. Mm-hmm. These three films, need to be seen um and even if you hate them you can probably turn around and sell it on ebay and make 20 bucks yeah um but you know yeah i've got a feeling you're you're gonna want to keep it on the shelf um if if you're a fan of george romero and you want to have a beautiful looking piece of art on your box on, on your dvd shelf next to his other films please consider picking this up um you know write a review for arrow to see so that they know that George Romero fans are watching this. So if they've got any pool to get any of his other films, please let Aaron know what you thought about it. Leave them a review, write them on Facebook, Twitter, you know, whatever. Please show them, show them, you know, the gratitude for putting this out. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I, I ought to, I ought to do the same. I, I haven't done that yet. And, and also make a mention of the Martin thing. Let them know we're interested. Um, because yep. there has certainly been a lot of a lot of mention on that. I mean, unfortunately, in a, in a negative light, because they they want it to be included in it. But I'm yeah, I, I'm cool with the title. I think it's a good title. Um, but 
But yeah, I mean, like I'm with everybody else who've been been fantastic to have Martin in there. But gosh, I'm so thrilled with what we got. Uh, it's what we have is so amazing that it's hard to hard to hate. On, on I, I almost feel that you know it, it, it's a good thing Martin's not included because Martin itself it, it's worth standing on its own. True. I, you know, I I would hate to have those extras skimmed over. Um, yeah, I I would be willing to pay thirty or forty bucks for a standalone Martin disc, even without the three hour black and white lost cut that's probably sitting in Rubenstein's vault, locked away in a box somewhere. <laughs> um, but you know, to hear John, you know, to to have John and Tom, Tony and Pat, you know, all of these guys come together. And, and talk about that movie with a great retrospective, a new commentary. I, I think a Martin disc by itself is, is something that I wouldn't want included in a box set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I feel you. That, that, that could be, I mean, if they, you know, included the Italian version or somehow found that original, uh, work print or something, I, I'd like to see, you know, like a double disc. Um, uh-huh. really fabulous edition, maybe similar to the way they did the creep show with a maybe a book attached to it, or yeah, uh, as much as possible on that one. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that's the, you know next to you know dawn and night and and maybe creep show like Martin gets a lot of love mm-hmm. from fans, um, and there's a lot of fans that have never seen it. Yeah, and I don't know why. <laughs> Well, those, go buy the disc off eBay. Um, well, those discs have always been quick to go out of print as well. But yeah, I mean, it's you spend, not, spend thirty bucks not and you can expensive. Do it. Yeah, it's not bad. Thirty bucks will get you any version that's ever maybe except for the Arrow, but might spend yeah. fifty on the Arrow. But um, but Martin gets so much love, and it's so deserving of the praise that it gets because. It's where you really start to see the Georgia people know. Yeah, he was the story, the storytelling, the story structure. The the you know he's it's the first film with Mike Gornick and Richard Rubenstein, so it's like you know Georgia's starting to crest. Yeah, he's uh, into his auteur phase, and um, it's really uh, going from the crazies to Martin, such a different way of filmmaking you can see the time he took between the crazies with filming all of those sports documentaries what he right. learned yep. yeah and about it. and you know so if if anyone out there please let arrow know that you want martin let scream factory synapse know that you want martin because you it's not going to hurt <laughs> the right. more fans that do it we, we will hopefully get this film released soon yeah, we've got to inspire one of these uh, companies to pony up. <laughs> I, I can throw twenty bucks in. Yeah, that's about all I got right now. That's what I got in my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> GoFundMe campaign. Yeah, exactly. We now bring you our very special interview with Paul Macaluso. It looks like your only um, film credit is Dawn of the Dead. Is, <laughs> is that true? Well, how did you yeah. how did you first hear about the movie and what uh, what made you want to get into and, acting? 
Well, funny story, I had just gotten out of high school and I had been in a musical for guys and dolls for an area called Penn Hills, which was a very huge district, uh, about 1,300 and some odd kids in the graduating class. So uh, coming off of that, I went to uh, Boys Community College, which was in Monroeville, and I uh, landed the lead. I took an acting class and landed the lead for Kirk Vonnegut play, which was covered by local press and that. And I did that. I um, Around the same time the thing was going on with, and I was working at a boutique downtown, some guy walks in one day, this is, you know, funny story, um, and he goes, uh, you know, and I'm showing him some clothes, and, uh, and that's what I did part-time, you know, and um, he said, uh, yeah, they're, they're uh, taking auditions for uh, Romero's new film, Dawn of the Dead, right down the road. I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, they're, they're doing auditions right down the, I said, can you give me the address? So like, he gave me the address, and I loved acting. I should have stuck with it, but that's another story, another chapter. But anyway, so I, uh, I run down on my lunch break. I'm running downtown. It's like three or four blocks, um, hot out, summertime, and I'm, I'm, I'm trucking down there. So I get up there, and they look at me, and they hand me uh, a script. And they say, you know, they outline, you know, what they want me to read. So I'm sitting there for about five minutes. There's probably 15, 18 guys in this in this room. So I get, I'm, I'm reading over, I'm reading it over. Okay, looks pretty good, pretty easy, action pack. I forget what the scene was. I think it was the scene with the with the guy, the blonde haired, shorter guy that had the lead with the black guy, the two cops, and um, and it was those two going back and forth. So I walk in Romero's office. He's sitting there with what I guess I assumed ended up being his wife down the road, uh, his secretary at the time. And, um, and I, you know, I see Romero just looking at me. He's looking at me across the desk and he's got this twinkle in his eye and he's smiling. And, and I had time to like think it out so that I could improvise vocally and, and with hand gesture what the scene was. And, and I had done that. You know, I brought, I brought a lot of enthusiasm to that part. He just was smiling the whole time. He's like, okay, guys, thanks for the read. He got up, we shook hands and he was just smiling at me. And I, you know, he was amused, whatever, good or bad. He was amused at, at the reading. So about three or four days, maybe four or five days, Max went by. And I, I come home one day, and uh, I'm still living at home. I'm maybe 20 years old. And uh, my mom goes, uh, hey, Romero, George Romero's office? Like, she didn't know who he was. She was like, George Romero's office called, said something about they had a part for you. I said, what? So, you know, I, I jump in the car. I got the address. Uh, I, was, I had to show up there like that next night. So I, I head on down there. And it's the scene on the roof. And to this day, I don't even know why that scene was in the movie. I mean, if you think about it, okay? <laughs> like, they never went back to it. Whoever the bandits were, whatever, us four guys, whatever, they weren't any part earlier to that. They were not, never even mentioned after that. It was just that tenement scene. And, like, who needed, like, a bunch of banditos to be in charge of the building? So I always thought in my mind, like, it was just something Romero threw in there for Amplis. Because Amplis had, uh, John Amplis the guy that had lead Martin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So, and I had met him because he was one of those banditos. Like, he was the first one out the door. I was the second one with a shotgun. Shot the shotgun off, and then the next clip was me, uh, or a clip two seconds, three, four, five seconds later, I'm, I jump up from behind the uh, AC unit on the top of Romero's building, and this was shot at night. 
and I saved my two lines and uh, Sabini had me wired up with a, with a blood pack and the wire ran underneath my clothes and all the way across the rooftop where a guy was sitting there reading the script and as soon as I said my two lines, he pops this electrical impulse and runs up my leg and bursts this fake blood bag out of my chest and I fall back. But I do remember this out of that scene is, is we took that scene one time. We shot that one time. The scene that everybody saw in that movie, how quick it was, whatever, was never shot twice. That was the scene the first time the cameras rolled and Romero and gave us a stand. I mean, he was standing, he clapped. Him and his uh, future wife, his secretary, whatever the time, was clapping also. And uh, that's what I remember about that night. They were like, wow, cool, that's a take. He's like, that's a take. Beautiful, guys. Thanks. You know. And then and then later, like a month or two later, I'm, I'm working got a job with Mary Go Round, which was in the Monroeville Mall. And I had worked in Monroeville Mall since I was a kid. I lived two miles, three miles down the road in a little development called Eastmont, uh, right off of 22. And, you know, if I'm not mistaken, and you guys would know more than me on this, but, and I've always been told this, that Monroeville Mall, although it looks nothing now like it did, like it did then, um, I, I, I understand it was one of the first enclosed malls in the entire country. So I've always been told that from other people from PA, from Pittsburgh. It it was definitely in that first wave of malls. I don't think it was one of the first handful or anything. Though. I, I think there was another mall in Pittsburgh. I think that one was... Uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm from that area, and that's all I've ever heard was Monroe Mall was like the first mall. And, like, we were always closed on Sundays. Like, if we were in the car business or whatever, everybody was closed on Sundays. When the Mogul Mall opened up in that area, and they were open on Sundays, and a lot of the other businesses started being open on Sundays. But I, I think uh-huh. it's one of the first in that area, anyway. Definitely. Um, but, yeah, it looks nothing like it does now, then. But, yeah, it was a great mall to work in. And the ice skating rink. You know, like nobody talks about that. There was a huge ice skating rink. And if you think in the movie, there's a clip where the zombies are on the ice skating rink. <laughs> you can see like they're walking and falling. It's a real short, real blur, quick little thing. But yeah, that mall when it originally opened had a huge ice skating. And that was the coolest thing about it. Everybody was indoors. And um, you would come and you could walk from above and look down into the ice skating rink. You know, it, was, it was cool. That was very unique about it. Um the, you know the restaurant Di Pomodoro? Yeah, the Pomodoro's was an Italian restaurant um, downstairs, I believe. Yeah. I heard it had windows that looked into the ice rink. Is that true? Do you recall that? Um, you know what? It was downstairs about the center of the mall, and I didn't frequent that place often, but it was definitely close enough that it could have had windows on that side. That could have been facing into the ice skating rink, yeah. Well, there was a little place right outside the ice rink called Papa Gogo. It was the first yeah. job I ever had. They did the hot dogs and the, and the soft drinks and that first job I ever had. And it was there, Papa Gogo, right directly outside or next to the ice skating rink. What did Merry-Go-Round sell? Merry-Go-Round was a, was a very trendy clothing store. It was funny because we got control. The manager was a lunatic, and he cranked the speaker so loud that when you walked in the front entrance of the mall, you could hear you could hear their music coming out of Merry-Go-Round that, that, that basically saturated the entire mall. They were fine left and right. They actually came in, and I was working there. They came in and took the speakers right out of the wall. They were fine so many times a corporate came in and just took the speakers out of the wall and said, you're done, no more music. 
but yeah, it was a clothing store, high end. Um, and then there was another one called um, Proving Grounds that was downstairs. I think that was out of New York. Uh, Mary Garan was out of Maryland, and they had a chain. There was a chain of them, um, and they did good. They did good. They were very profitable. I don't know whatever happened to them, but they were opening up like mad, and, uh, and they were a pretty popular chain back in the seventies. Um. I wanted to go back to the audition for a minute. Did did that take sure. did that take place also at George's offices? Yes. And um do you recall what role you were auditioning for originally? Oh yeah, I, I actually wrote read I read for the lead. Because after the movie came out then I saw, you know, the dialogue that went on was between the blonde haired cat and the black guy, both of them being the cops, the two lead roles, uh-huh. that it was a scene between them two. I think it was in the trucks. We were, they were, they were running with the trucks and they were going to block off the mall. And he was like, yeah, yeah, man. And the little blonde haired cat was like, yeah, man, we could do this. Yeah. And he was all fired up like he hadn't slept in like four or five days or whatever the thing was. And, um, so yeah, I read for him and then mm-hmm. the other guy read for the other guy. And, um, it was, it was cool. It was cool. And I didn't realize that I was reading for one of the lead roles. I really didn't have an extensive background other than, than the musical and having lead in that. And, you know, so, you know, in the, in the uh, community college thing. So maybe Romero was looking at it like, yeah, this guy's not a, you know, a name that was really well known. But then again, the guys that had the leads, nobody was really a well known actor in that whole movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was crazy. I, if he would have picked me for the lead, that would have been phenomenal. I could have dealt with that. That would have been great, man. Go down one of the biggest cult flicks in history and have the lead role. Yeah, that would have been fun. That would have been fun. Did, you were reading opposite of Ken Foray? Uh, um, I don't think it was exactly the guy who actually got picked. You know, I, I really didn't pay much attention to him physically and facially. I was nervous. You know, I went in, I read my piece, he read his piece. We're sitting side by side, and my eye contact really was with Romero more than it was him, but it definitely fit his stature and size. Uh-huh. I don't think it was him. I really just don't think it was him. I think his cat was more laid back. I don't. I don't think it was the the the, 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 the black gentleman that I saw in the movie. I don't believe it was him. Okay. But it was another guy that was auditioning, and he was he was reading the lead role. So they obviously hadn't nailed down the lead role as of yet, but they wouldn't have had us still reading. For, for that, those roles, but, um, I found that interesting after the movie came out. You know, I was like, wow, I didn't realize that they didn't tell us what part it was. They just said, yeah, here's the scene, two guys, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't realize till after I seen the movie come out that it was, that was the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like when you, when you were getting hooked up by Tom Savini for the scripts? Cause obviously you had had no prior experience. So how nervous were you to have an explosive? Oh, not at all. I was love trusting guys. I was loving every second of it. I was loving and enjoying and learning and watching. Um, another thing, really quick, easy thing that Savini did that I was amazed. You know, like you see the blonde haired cop go down with the bullets. You know, it's a real quick scene, but he goes down. There's a quick clip of him taking the shot. You hear the shot go off and then you see this black hole in the guy's head. He's laying down. He's staring up at the camera. And the cop, and uh, what that was was, is Savini took a button, a regular button, and ran a thread from the back of the button, maybe about four feet of thread, puts the button on the guy's head and puts putty 
all over the buttons. No, actually, he takes the button and he, and he colors it with a black magic marker on the inside, right? Puts that side on the guy's forehead. And then he takes the putty and wraps it all up real nice so you don't see it. You can barely make out the thread coming off the guy's forehead, right? So the scene goes down and, and, and one of the banditos, whatever, I think it was Amplis, he shoots the gun, just a regular gun. And then you see this cop fall down, the blonde hair cop, you see, then all of a sudden you see this black hole in the center of his head. Somebody just pulled the thread. <laughs> just pulled the thread and pulled the button off his head. And there was this hole with black hole in the middle of the guy's head. It took something like two seconds to do it. I thought it was pretty cool. And then he did me, like he wired me up and there was a cord running all the way down my pants and, and running all the way across the top of the uh, roof. And that guy's sitting there and he's just watching the script and as soon as I said my lines, he knew what to do. He hits this little thing and boom, thing explodes. I fall back, looks like I fall off the roof, but I really fall on like a mat that's right behind the uh, AC unit. Were the uh, were the SWAT guys actually there? Um, were the SWAT guys actually there? Yeah, yeah, everybody was up there. So yeah. they were, they were kind of filming it real time almost. Yeah, exactly. They were filming it real time, and again, that scene was that was the first time we ran it, and that was a take. Romero was thrilled. He was like, "Great guys, that's a wrap, man. Awesome." He was smiling from ear to ear. Didn't waste no tape done first time around and that's what it was it was from the SWAT guys standing you know sitting on the roof and saying their parts to that door flying open and shots being fired and me running across the roof and blah blah, blah. and then there was pretty much you know the blonde hair guy gets killed and, and that was pretty much it. it wasn't a whole lot to that scene and that's why I never could figure out like why did he even put that scene in there because if you think about it none of that came back anywhere through the rest of the movie it was like this one thing, you know, these banditos, whatever. Here they are. Now they're gone. Done. It was, <laughs> I just thought it, it was funny that that scene was even there. But it was cool. You know, and I got a check. He sent me a check. I had no idea. You know, I had to sign that I was, you know, you know, work, working with them or whatever. And I didn't realize it. But, yeah, I got a check for like a 100 and some odd dollars or maybe 136 or 168, something like that. I should have kept it and I should have framed it. If I would have known the movie was going to be the call hit that it was. And I should have realized, and I have a living dead Jesus, a low-budget flick that made Donna's how many millions, um, you know, that Dawn of the Dead was going to be a success. So, but it was fun, man. I loved being every part. I loved every second of it. It was a great experience. So I cherish it. And, um, you know, pretty much it. I'd love to get back into acting someday. You know, you get married, you have kids, you got a mortgage, you know, the deal, um, you sacrifice, you, you start, you know, you start paying stuff off and paying mortgages and that. And, uh, but someday, hopefully you never know. You never know. Um, by chance was, was John Amplis at the audition? Um, yeah, he was actually. He was there and we were talking and, uh, he had mentioned about, he goes, yeah, I, I, I had this role. Martin, did you ever see the movie Martin? I really wasn't that familiar with Romero at that point in time. I knew he had not really dead. I knew it was a big success and it was a local flick. So I wanted to audition and get in on this one when I heard about it. But, um, yeah, he was there. You know, we talked briefly. He was telling me about Martin and what the plot was like on the movie. And I was like, oh man, get out of here. He's like, yeah, you know, he was loving life. I don't blame him. I'd have been loving life too. So. I'm surprised he, you know, not, you know, I, I didn't see him in other things uh, throughout the years, you know, because he had a good personality, a 
I'm not, I thought he would have been in, in more things down the road, such as myself. But, you know, you get derailed. Stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you finally, or when did you first get to have a look at the film? Uh, it came out uh, at the Monroeville Mall, ironically. There was a movie theater right behind the Monroeville Mall. And I mean, it was jam, bro, when I tell you. <laughs> uh, when this movie came out, like in our hometown, it was like the hugest thing ever. So, so just to get, you couldn't even get near the theater, actually. You really couldn't. Uh, but I did get in there on one of the opening nights, either an early Saturday or something. I, I went up there and uh, took a date. It was kind of cool. You know, I'm sitting there with this girl, and, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be coming up in this movie. And there is a scene, like a split second or a second and a half, when the whole screen is my face. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, yeah, that's me right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. But, no, I saw the movie and, and uh, loved it. If you're a horror fan, how can you not love that movie? Mm -hmm. But it was just so ironic because I worked at the Monroeville Mall for many years. And it was uh, funny just just seeing all the zombies walking past the Brown Derby and on the ice skating rink and and the stairs that were at each end of the mall and the big clock. And just to watch on the movie screen what you see every day where you go every day and I get I get a kick out like when I'm on the website and I'm looking somebody's like yeah I went on vacation I went to the Monroeville Mall you know because the mall must have really freaked everybody out when you think about it you know a bunch of zombies running loose in a mall that's that's brilliant it's genius it's genius because you can live I mean there was catacombs behind that mall like I knew that mall inside and out my friend I worked for three or four different stores there over a period of about four years um, and um, there was catacombs like in the backs of all those malls because all those stores had back doors on the bottom floors and there was these back concrete exit hallways that would take you out to these exits and take those elevators back there and, and it's really wild I mean there's a lot of like catacomb like like things around that whole mall um, most people have no clue that they even exist there but yeah they, they, they that's just the way the mall is built Cool mall, great area, man. It was it was the, the bomb in the seventies, eighties. Uh, a lot of fun. That whole area, Monroeville. Would you consider making an appearance at a uh, like a Dawn of the Dead like uh, convention gathering or something like that? Oh yeah, man! I would love it. I would love it. Well, I know one's going to be a huge one is going to be coming up next year for the fortieth anniversary. So I'll, I'll uh, yeah, please keep me uh, keep me posted. Definitely, we'd love love to have you around, man. That to have you a part of the yeah, you know, show. Yeah, just fall into something like that, man. But it just it just happened like that that day, just right place, right time, kind of thing. Um, something I, I wanted to do, I dreamed about, and you know, there was an opportunity, and I wasn't gonna miss it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was cool. Romero was as nice as he could be. You know, I remember the gentleman. He was just as as nice as as he could be the whole everybody that worked for him was was very cool uh great people to work with man i would love to show up at work every day with a crew like that and be able to hang and make money would be a beautiful thing yeah um matt did you have anything else no i think he answered all my questions before i got to ask him (laughs) very good Sorry, bro. Sorry. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just envious of the, of the time you spent them all back in the seventies because I didn't get to, to visit until 1999 for the first time because I wasn't born yet when the when the film had been made. So I make it out there four or five, six times a year and just 
go and visit and hang out. And I would just, I would have loved to have been there in the, just the height of the seventies, just to see what that place was like. Oh, you know what guys? And I didn't even tell you this. Um, when they, you know, like they did the motorcycle scene, it was so cool. I was working that night. So we were closing up that night and all you could hear were these bikes. These bikes were coming in from outside. We're working on an inside mall. All of a sudden you're like, it sounds like a gang. Remember, a gang of bikes are coming through the center of the mall. So we're all, we all went outside the stores. We're looking over the railings, and here they are, man. Here comes uh, Romero and his crew. And they were coming in for, like, at night and on Sundays, like, for a couple of months, man. They were coming up and showing up and filming. So it was cool. It was fun to, to see them all walking in. You know, the guys bringing all the cables and all the props and everybody sitting down and getting all their makeup on. It was really cool. It was different. You know, it was very exciting to be living in, like you said, and it was very exciting to, to be in that area at that time. It really was. So you never nice. got the, the opportunity to portray a zombie on the, on the mall oh, set? You know what? I think back to now and kick myself in the ass that I didn't know because I was so tired from working, you know, retail. Right. You're working 10, 12 hours and they're coming in on a Saturday. You just work 12 hours. And you, know, you know, you don't want to hang out. You want to go. And now I wish to God I would have just hung out more. And, and, you know, because I know George if I were locked up. Like, he didn't know, I didn't even know, because I didn't work at the mall when I was down there with him. And I went back up to the mall because the money was better, so I went back up there. And uh, it, was, it was, if I would have gone to him and said, George, man, yeah, anything I can do, you know, he would, I'm sure he would have found something. I would have done something standing here at zombie there, whatever. And uh, which just would have been more memories that I could have cherished at that time. But, um Oh man, I, I kicked myself in the ass for that. I walked out of there where they were in there filming, they're in there actually filming the movie, and I'm going home. Like, how stupid was that, you know? <sighs> Did you, do, you, do you recall encountering any anything memorable on the way out? Or on, uh, maybe after one of your shifts? Or? No, just Savini and all them coming in on, on the bikes, and that uh, was cool. You know, I went down because, you know, you had the sound of the bikes in the mall was, was outstanding. So, you know, I wanted to go down and see what was going on. So uh, those guys were all there hanging out. And it was, that was pretty much it. I was checked out the bikes, said hi to Tom, and I was gone. Um, just crazy. I would have hindsight. You know? yeah. uh, I would have hung out, would have hung out with Romero as much as I possibly could have, you know, looking at hindsight now. I mean, I've done good. I have a good life. I got a nice home. You know, I got a decent career. Uh, I'm going to retire in a couple of years, probably pretty comfortably. But, you know, geez, I just wish I would have hung out with Romero more and seen where that would have gone. It would have been awesome. Well, I, I can tell you right now, you got two people on the other end of the line that are incredibly jealous of, of your experience, however limited it may have been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know now. Like, I wasn't even aware of the dawn of the day, like, the, the site, you know. And um, I just found out about you guys the other day, and I, I clicked, you know, it's, uh, Alex turned me on to it, and I clicked on to it. And, and he had asked me if I was the guy that was in the movie that said that. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy remembers the two lines I said from, like, 40 years ago. Are you kidding me? So, so I went on to the site. It was cool. It was really, really cool. I didn't know that, that the Dawn of the Dead website even existed. There were a lot of deadheads out there, and... Uh, I think it's awesome, man. It was it was a cool movie and a great experience, and it's gonna live on for a while, as will Romero and his works. So it's it's all you can do. Is when you get an opportunity, man, jump on it. Absolutely, I agree. Before we get out of here, I've got to ask, just in case you have some input on it. Um, do you recall? Uh, I 
you know, it's it's implied in the film that the leader of the um, of the gang that's protecting the the apartment, the tenement building, the leader, the name of the leader is Martinez. Which which person played Martinez? I mean, to the from what I remember, it was Amplis. Uh huh. Amplis played Martinez. Because Joe Shelby, yeah, you know, Joe Shelby thinks time, he played it. He, Joe for Shelby. For the longest time, I thought they just, I thought Romero just put that little piece in there just so Amplis would have, you know, a little part in there for whatever reason, you know. And I just thought that, you know, that I have nothing to back that, but. Yeah, no, no, definitely Amplis played Martinez. Okay. Yeah, because Joe Shelby has laid claim to that role. Uh, Who? Joe Shelby, he's uh, one of the gentlemen on the roof that, that gets shot. He's wearing kind of a, like a white button-down shirt. Um, yeah, it was the one, I believe, that he, did he come out the door before me? The first guy out, I believe. Yeah, yeah. the first guy out. I'm almost positive that that was Amplis, man. To the best of my memory, that okay. was amplish. All right. Fair enough. Thank you for listening to WGON Radio. We'd like to thank Paul Macaluso for the interview, for Eric Kent and Matt Blasey. We'll see you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.